Welcome into the bank, a show which covers the Baltimore Ravens and the NFL. The bank is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome into the bank. It's going to sound a little bit different today. Uh, thanks to our previous co-host, Jordan Coe and Dr. Gabe Ferguson. Thought they did a great job. Great having them as longtime parts of the site. Hope they'll continue on as uh, posters at our message board, but they're moving on to additional greener pastures. But we continue here at Baltimore Sports and Life, and I'm happy to uh, start a new air here with the bank with my co-host, uh, Mike Randall and Jing Seek. Uh, Mike, how you doing tonight? I'm great, Chris. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Uh, doing well. And Jamie, a new contributor to uh, to the site, but a longtime poster. People will, will remember the uh, screen uh, name Primetime. Uh, certainly stands out. Uh, Jamie, thanks for joining uh, both PSL uh, as a contributor, but also joining here with the podcast. How are you doing tonight, Jamie? Uh, I'm, do- I'm doing okay. Thank you very much. I uh, appreciate the opportunity and just uh, looking forward to talking some football. Yeah, so let's uh, talk some football. Let's start with uh, recapping Monday night. Pretty ho-hum game, right? Not a whole lot <laughs> happened in, uh, in in that one. It was just one of those games you quickly forget about. Uh, Mike, uh, uh, you recap each game each week at the site. Uh, just kind of give some overview thoughts as, you know, as you can for what we saw Monday night. Oh, man. I think the two words that I saw most throughout the game were too easy. Uh, Whether it was the Ravens going down and scoring, uh, the way Lamar Jackson was playing, the way Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins were running the ball, it just looked too easy. And it was the same for the Browns, the way they operated against the Ravens' defense. Things were just too easy. The way uh, uh, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt operated and as open as their receivers were getting for Baker Mayfield. It, everything just looked too easy. Um, and, uh, you know, it turned out to be a game that if you're not a fan of either team is one of the greats of all time. And if you're a Ravens fan, it's a great of all time. And if you're a Browns fan, you're going to be hating life talking about this game for years to come. <laughs> so um, lots of drama. Didn't enjoy too much of the fourth quarter drama being on the edge of my seat. I enjoyed it because we won, but that would have been a, a tough pill to swallow had the Ravens not prevailed. Uh, Jamie, lots of truth there. If Mike's comments right, you enjoy it because you won, uh, and you look at the game differently because you won. Uh, you know, just kind of overview thoughts of where, where the Ravens are coming out of that, of that game and really just the importance of uh, – uh, being on the right side of, of that game Monday night? Well, I mean, there was a couple things. Like, let's take a, you know, I guess an aerial view of it. We needed a conference win, and we needed to sweep the Browns. In the event of, you know, a tie, obviously now we hold the tiebreaker, so that was big. And our uh, record in conference isn't great, and that's what got us a little bit hamstrung for these last three games um, because you would think uh, um, at, you know, if we can get to 11 wins, which looks pretty realistic at this point, 11 wins is usually a safe bet, but in a year where the AFC is, is up, um, it's going to take every bit of that 11 wins. And it, and even if a couple things don't break our way, we could still be on the outside looking in. 
Um, but in regards specifically to Monday night, from a pure entertainment standpoint, it was second to none. It, it was uh, definitely a lot of up and down, back and forth. Mike, you said too easy. That's so funny because said the same thing a couple of times uh, for both teams. Um, but from a from a fan, from an analytical standpoint, you look at some things and you're like, oh, there's some stuff we're going to have to do better here if we're going to play into January. Um, and we can talk specifics as we go on. But there was definitely some things specifically on the defensive side of the ball that really made you cringe. Yeah, let's get into that a bit, uh, Jamie. So you come out on Monday, you've got three games left, obviously starting this weekend of Jacksonville. Uh, each of the three games, you're expecting a W, and you're certainly expecting one this weekend. Ravens somewhere between 12-and-a-half to 13-point favorites. Uh, Jaguars won their opening week. They've lost every week since. A number of competitive games, but still, they've lost every week since, and you're expecting a certainly expecting a win versus the Jags. But what do you – what are you specifically looking to see? It, it's not, you know, it's not just getting the W. What do you need to see from uh, from the Ravens this weekend? Yeah, it's um. Well, if I can say something in general, real quick. Um, you think back to 2012. We don't remember that we beat the Kansas City Chiefs nine to six. You know, um, a game that was very very short on style points and excitement, but that win as important as every win is so truth be told i've gotten to the point where hey we we need wins now so however it comes it comes with that said i think the biggest thing is defensive improvement overall i don't know how much of that we're going to be able to get to because we still have health issues that we that we have to overcome Calais campbell just said today you know he's still feeling the effects of you know coming back from the covid um you could see uh, Brandon Williams looked a little winded at times. I think the entire defense really looked a little tired and just a step slow on Monday. Um, could be a product of just the schedule being all over the place, um, playing on short rest again. You know, there could be some conditioning stuff, uh, you know, finally getting into some cold weather. Obviously have some guys coming off COVID. Um, you know, so – you, you still need to see them play at a higher level. You need to see them tackle better. You need to see guys in position to make plays, particularly the linebackers in space. They're getting lost um, playing a step slow. But again, we have a lot of younger linebackers out there. That That's not a surprise, but they need to grow up fast. Um, and also, just to piggyback on that about the defense, we really, really need to find a way to get the quarterback to the ground. Um, when we brought Yannick and Gakwe in, the idea was that, man, we'll be able to get pressure, maybe with four. Wink isn't going to have to blitz everybody you know, from different directions, and we're not going to have to do a lot of cover zero stuff. We can maybe get home with four. He's definitely been around the quarterback, but he hasn't gotten the quarterback down yet. And I and I really that's one of the things I'd really like to see, even against a team that is going to be overmatched in all likelihood on Sunday. It would still be nice to see the defense get three or four sacks, maybe and and register you know seven eight quarterback hits things like that. Um, yeah, I like that call. I, I like that call, Jamie, especially in the Gogway going against his uh, former team. 
uh, wanting to get that going. Uh, Mike, uh, how about for you? I mean, for, for me, just going into the weekend, it's, you know, you've won these last couple games. You see the approach uh, changing a little bit. The Ravens, who dealt with high expectations going into the year, kind of floundered a, a bit during the season, but now they've won these few games and they have these last three games, which all look pretty uh, good for them right now. Uh, you know, for me, it's about they can probably see the light in the tunnel, the tunnel being, uh, you know, getting to the playoffs if they handle their business and increasing their confidence the next few weeks and kind of, uh, you know, kind of big picture. What are you looking to see? Yeah, I think uh, Jamie really nailed it, talking about the health of the defense. Um, that's that's If you need three games to get healthy, these are kind of the three you want to play with Jacksonville, the Giants, and the Bengals. I mean, Jacksonville's 1-12. The Giants may not have Daniel Jones. They're not even a good offense even with him. And the Bengals with no Joe Burrow, nothing to play for in Week 17 other than the role of spoiler, uh, which we're familiar with, so we can't overlook <laughs> that game. These are three teams, teams you want to play. Um Specifically against Jacksonville, one of the guys that I think gets overlooked a lot um, when you have guys like Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook and with us just playing um, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt is James Robinson, their rookie running back. Uh, he's third in the league in yards. He's third in the league in yards and runs of 10 or more yards. Um, it's something that I want to see the Ravens do is to slow this guy down and slow down their rushing attack. Um, just because once you get into the playoffs – Assuming the Ravens, if they win out, they're going to get there, given their odds of um, or 99% or better. If they win their next three games, they'll be in the playoffs. Um, you know, you have to be able to get off the field on third third downs and on third and manageable, defending the run. So on third and three, you can make it fourth and two and force a punt, or on third and five. Um, you know, in these short third downs, maybe you can get off the field. And I think that's something the Ravens uh, struggled with on Monday. I was getting off the field and that keeps you fresh. And when you have guys coming up and down from practice squads with the expanded practice squads, when you have guys coming off of COVID that aren't fully healthy, like um, the communication not being there uh, with the Ravens getting stuck with what was it, the 15 guys on the field on one play uh, Harbaugh having to call a timeout because Campbell and somebody else communicated on a sub. Uh, so he called timeout to avoid another penalty. Uh, they just have to, um, you know, get right, get healthy, and these are the three games to do it. And um, you know, one thing are, are I, you more are you more worried about their uh, uh, the health uh, going? You know, let's say they win these three games comfortably as you would expect, but are you more focused on them being healthy going into January, or uh, having shored up some of their issues? And obviously, these three opponents maybe you're not going to be the best uh, direct test. Uh, of your the issues that you're facing but I guess, I guess what I mean there more directly is how do you handle the bodies do you uh, uh, your starters in particular are you limiting their their minutes their snaps are you uh, uh, just kind of going full board trying to uh, you know, to dominate these games yeah I mean I think dominate the game is the way to go um, but at the same time preserving their health by if you're winning against Jacksonville by 30 in the fourth quarter, um, giving guys like Campbell and Brandon Williams and giving some, some of those guys a break um, because you're going to need them uh, full strength. But I feel like if you rest some of these guys too, I don't know if you rest these guys too much, if the conditioning is there, then if they get into the playoffs and they get pushed to a game that takes, you know, 
you have to play all 60 minutes. Are these guys going to be gassed in the fourth quarter because they took some time off? I, I mean, I just, I just don't know. Um, I don't know if everybody's wired differently, but I, I mean, I would say, you know, play with the mindset that you're going to go out and score as many points as you can and um, do whatever it takes to do that. Jamie, you talked about the uh, pass rush. Mike talked about uh, third down, getting off the field. Obviously, both uh, poured in parts and kind of go hand in hand. Let's talk about the defense a little bit more specifically. Uh, obviously, again, these last three opponents might not push the defense. Are there specific adjustments you want to see? And obviously, uh, you know, the focus in Baltimore, and I certainly mentioned the other night, you know, it. it uh, we've seen quality defense for two decades, given a year or two here and there. Uh, we didn't see it Monday night. Uh, certainly looked different than you know, what we're accustomed to. But football outsiders, their DVO ratings, uh, the defense is still, I believe, eighth overall. Uh, so uh, even even with uh, you know some of the current issues, it's still one of the upper third units. And if you look at the roster as a whole, there's still plenty of skill, particularly there in the secondary. So Jamie. Any adjustments you're really looking to see uh, these last few weeks? I mean, you know, it's difficult because you you hate to, and and I and and maybe this is just a function of the the next man up kind of mentality and the the idea that well you don't like to blame injuries or, or health as a reason why your team struggles, but there's a reason why you have starters and backups and practice squad guys because if the practice squad guys were good enough they'd be on a 53-man roster somewhere. If the backups were good enough, they'd be one of the starting 11. Not to say those guys aren't good good football players in their own right, but we've had so many rotating health issues this year, which juxtaposed to last year, where we were remarkably healthy on both sides of the ball, which makes me lament the missed opportunity last year because you don't often get blessed with good health like that. But I think that is a big factor into performance. We've had guys in and out of the lineup. We've had um, cornerback issues. Again, despite being loaded up, we, we felt at the beginning of the season. Um, Anthony Averett was a healthy scratch because, quite frankly, he got worn out against Dallas. Um, but more than likely, he's going to have to be up this week because we don't know Jimmy Smith's status with the shoulder. Um, Marcus Peters had the calf issue and he did not look right. And I don't know whether that was, dare I say, Marcus Peters being Marcus Peters or was he nicked up a little bit? Um, and I, I think it just, everybody, again, it just, they just look tired. They look slow. And I don't know if, again, we're just looking at a function of how bizarre these last three weeks have been. If you're talking strictly X's and O's, I think a big thing where we're lacking this year is the coverage ability of the young linebackers. And if you think about it, they're trying to get Patrick Queen, Lee Harrison, even though Chris Board getting him more snaps. And, you know, LJ Fort's a veteran, but, you know, he's just a – he's a nice player. He's not the kind of guy that another, another offense is going to scheme around. When you have young linebackers – and they had to learn the nuances of a playbook and coverage and dropping and where to be. And then you take away uh, OTAs, you take away mini camps, you, you don't have a real training camp, and you have so much stuff virtually. It's just not the same as learning on the field as you would 
and coaches being able to learn more about guys. Sure, they practice, but it's just it's a more controlled environment, just different. So I don't really know how much they can do other than have as many of your starters on the field as possible, communicate, play as a unit, run to the ball, tackle. Basics at this point is really all you can do. I don't know that there's much they can do schematically at, you know, 13, 14 games into the season. Yeah, kind of building off Jamie's comments there, Mike, one of the questions I have is that uh, schematically, and I said this kind of going into the year, to me it felt like the Ravens, they have they have to scheme pressure. You know, they're not able to just line up with their defensive line and really get pressure. Now that changed a little bit with the addition of the Gagway have been one of the better pass rushers of the last five years, and you think him and Judon opposite of each other, that even if they're both not uh, the top of the top, they're in together, they're a pretty good duo. But since they have to scheme pressure, it seems to me, um, you know, that can sometimes leave them vulnerable. And since they don't get enough pressure as is, in my opinion, uh, is there any thought to the idea of just kind of – having a more basic vanilla approach, uh, dropping more people in, in the coverage. You know, we're not getting pressure. Should we be dropping back in particular? Or, or do you just, uh, you know, what the Ravens have certainly been known as having a sophisticated defensive scheme and uh, approach. What do you like uh, better? I mean, I think, um, you know, I think communication with being the issue that it is looked like it's been. Um, going back and just simplifying things might be the way to go, especially with the, the different guys that we're seeing out there week to week. Um, there, there every week there's somebody's name that I see on there. I was like, oh, that, like I never heard of that guy, <laughs> or you know, it's it's someone called up from the practice squad for that game, and they're out there. You know, you see him make a tackle, or it's out there in a crucial situation, and you know, it's with all that going on, I think it makes it harder for uh, some of the guys out there to freelance, which is what. Um, the defense is usually done, which we've seen them do when they're at full strength is like eight guys straight across the line of scrimmage. And then when the ball snaps, you don't know which three, but three of them are going to drop back and five of them are going to rush or four of them are going to drop and four are going to rush. And and I think when you're operating at full strength, you, you can do those things because you're everyone's on the same page. But when you have all these new players or players that aren't 100%, uh, you know, you don't really – we're not seeing that. And I think they're, they've kind of looked a little vanilla in their approach to me against Cleveland. Um, who's a much more formidable offense than what we're going to see coming up. And, and maybe, um, you know, if you're, if your focus is, is a playoff game, simplifying things and maybe not putting too much on film of some of these guys might be the way to go. Uh, so that if you are back at full strength come January, um, you can catch somebody off guard and win a game. I think the communication point you, you raised there, I think that's really a, a really great point, Mike, in uh, having guys in and out of the lineup. I guess the other thing that I like, I mean, when they when they have the ability to communicate and they have people consistently in there, I like that the fact that it's a sophisticated defense that they use. And uh, But if you can have it a little bit vanilla there, it seems to me that some players uh, might be able to read and react a little bit easier. Uh, just uh, they're not thinking as much as it, you know, it appears to me that maybe they are. Uh, moving on, we'll go to the other side of the ball. And, you know, Mike, 
you know, we, I think we've seen the offense uh, these last few weeks. They've the running games again become the focus. Uh, Jackson has been unleashed a little bit. I don't know if he was right to start the year physically. I mean, we'll probably hear more about that when the season ends. I don't think he was, uh, at least 100%. I mean, good enough to play, but maybe not uh, fully healed from the groin injury. He certainly looks healthy now. Uh, and his running ability it really just sets up everything else, you know, in my opinion. Uh, you get him going and, and uh, things fall in place. But beyond him, Dobbins, Gus, you know, ride them, get the carries, limit the pass attempts and set up the play action. That's my thought. What about you? Yeah. The last two weeks seem like night and day between Lamar's speed the last two weeks and uh, the early in the season. Uh, and early on teams were doing a lot better job of containing him on the outside, on the edges. So he would try to make those outside runs and just wouldn't be able to. And, but then middle of the season, we saw him adjust and they started attacking straight up the middle. He's got three runs of over 30-some yards, like two 37-yarders and a 50-yarder running straight up the gut um, when teams don't have uh, safety uh, up there, safety help. So, he, um, you know, the Ravens adjust. Now teams got to adjust back, and they got to cover the middle. And so now he can hopefully have some outside runs like he did against Cleveland that, that work. And I think it, it looks like he's right, whatever it was. I, I mean, I think they said a groin injury through training camp. Um, you know, I don't, those things can linger, I suppose. Um, but he definitely looks faster. He looks like he's getting around the corner better. Um, definitely looks a little more elusive than he, than he did early on. And I think one of the things that does is open up the passing game. And I think we saw that, um, a perfect example of that on the touchdown to Marquise Brown uh, there when he came back after his cramps uh, on the fourth and five play. Uh, you know, he took the snap, he rolled out to the right, and everybody that's – looking is like they know it's fourth and five so he can either he's got the option to take off and run and gain five yards or the, you know browns can cheat and try to stop that run and try to win the game right there and when you cheat you cheat for one second and don't know what they're going to do that's when somebody like marquise brown just gets behind the defense and then it's just an easy you know or whatever their head for lamar and brown gets it and goes the distance so, I mean, that's the X factor that makes him different that other guys don't have. Uh-huh. Jamie, the uh, on the telecast Monday, they spent a lot of time talking about how defenses are trying to take away the middle of the field for Jackson, and that's uh-huh. uh, obviously been a comfort zone for him, utilizing Andrews and before that last year, particularly uh, Hurst and Boyle, and then also maybe like a Sneed there kind of just dropping down in the zone. Uh, so – a lot of focus going into this season was can Jackson improve on the outside, but what is directly just having the running mentality? Uh, how how does that really change uh, the the approach uh, for the Ra- you know for the Ravens? Just kind of having that be the focal point of their offense of we're going to run we're going to run downhill. It doesn't matter who's out for us. This is who we are. Come and stop that. How does that change things in terms of how defenses will uh, approach the Ravens? Well, I think one thing we have to look at the last two games um, is the offensive line situation has settled down, and that's big. Because if you think about how how absurd the situation has been with the offensive line throughout the the struggles where 
you know, you lose your all-pro left tackle, so your pro bowl right tackle moves to left tackle. Your Hall of Fame right guard retires. The guy that replaced him gets hurt, and then you have to replace him. And then your center can't snap, so the guy that was replacing the replacement right guard has to move the center. And you think about all that. It was a lot of moving parts, but now that we've got four of the five spots a little better, they're trying Phillips and Fluker. I, Harbaugh made it sound, and he's going to make it sound like it was a rotation, but it really seemed by all indications that Phillips got benched and Fluker played well in the, you know, in the latter stages of the game, probably most of the second half, I believe. So I think that's a big factor that we've settled down there. That's one thing. Um, with, with that, you, you know, or I guess speaking on that to the passing game, I think we saw that Lamar's limitation in getting the ball outside the numbers, particularly on the outs and the comeback, from the pocket, that's just not his strong suit. And honestly, it's probably never going to be. But that's okay because he has other skills that nobody else has. So let's build around that and use that to set everything else up. Like you said, Chris, play action. Um opportunities are there when you run the ball and you say, you know what, we're going to run the ball. You know we're going to run the ball and you can't stop us. And you've seen that success particularly come with now this Dobbins-Edwards rotation. And quite frankly, I'd like to see even less Justice Hill than we've seen, even just for the couple snaps. I know he's contributing on special teams. I don't think much of him as an offensive player. And unless maybe it's in pass protection, because he seems to, when he does get snaps, it's on third down. But I'd much rather see Dobbins on the field on third down because I feel like he he is a tougher guy to bring down, and he that kid wants it. I, I don't know how else to say it. It's an intangible. It's a feeling. You look at the two-point conversion. He got blown up at the one-yard line, but he just powered right through the guy <laughs> and went in. So I, I think seeing this offense that we've seen, of 2019 but there are still going to have to be times where we connect on big plays for example on Monday night when when the the miss to Andrews and was the other one Sneed I believe um, yeah. where there was two yeah. deep ball opportunities that he missed on now could, that was when Lamar started dealing with the cramps so perhaps that could have been an issue but his deep ball feel and timing has not been there um and that's something that he's going to have to develop when to put some air on the ball versus when to let it rip and then not holding it too long he's got to trust that his guy is going to be where he needs him to be on that spot and let that ball go and and i think there was a there was a play in the cowboys game i believe too to go back a week ago or however many days it was ago, um, the uh, the play to Andrews that could have been a touchdown in the back of the end zone, and Lamar held the ball just a tick too long, and the safety was able to get there. Those things he can get better at. That type of stuff he can. But the, the, the arm strength and the ability to get outside the numbers, I, I don't think that's going to ever be a big part of his game. But let's do what works, which is, you know, Lamar being Superman. <laughs> and that's kind of what happened on Monday night. Well, there's a couple of great points there, Jamie. First, I like that you started with uh, the O-line. And obviously, when any post-mortem of this year occurs and we talk about the differences in the offense between uh, 19 and 20, 
there wasn't enough attention. Some of us mentioned it before the year about losing Yonda, losing Hurst, <laughs> but then going during the year and losing Stanley and then losing Boyle. I mean, that was those are big changes to your offense. Mm-hmm. You've got two, you got two rookie receivers, you got two second year receivers. Uh, and you're waiting for more consistency from from uh, all of them. Uh, but uh, you know, back to the O line for a second. I, I've liked that they've added uh, you know a little bit more of the jumbo package the last few weeks. They're not using it on every down, but you know, sometimes they're bringing in that extra lineman, and I think that helps. Uh, to your point, you've had a little bit more consistency the last few weeks. People are settling into their roles. I bet if you watch the uh, PFF grades the next few weeks uh, or coming out of Monday night, I bet people graded well. I think that happens when Jackson is running. That's just right. my sense. And uh, and the O-line is – or you're running in general. And then the Dobbins and the point there, I mean, that was a message that Dobbins sent uh, scoring there and, and dropping the shoulder and making, uh, you know, you aren't stopping me. And uh, he's their best – really, he's their – you know, maybe I'm shorting Andrews here, but Dobbins is in the mix for being the Ravens' best – offensive weapon non-Jackson so uh you know as many touches he he can get uh, I'm all about (laughs) yeah yeah and if you think about it he's just scratching the surface yeah uh so quick question do you guys think that the uh the other two the two Ohio cities in our division Cleveland and Cincinnati that those fans collectively most likely being Ohio State fans are sick to their stomach that they have to watch Dobbins run for the Ravens (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right, right. absolutely, one hundred percent. So, uh, kind of uh, as we get clear, uh, close to wrapping up here, let's uh, talk about who needs to elevate their play. And uh, uh, Mike, we'll start with you. Who's top of mind for you? These, uh, they could be a couple of guys, but you know, right now, who's uh, top of your list? Um, well, I think with the defense being the unit that we want to see the most improvement from right now. Um, I made a note of this after the game, well, the day after the game Monday, but uh, Marcus Peters, looking at his numbers um, from 2019, what I noted was he allowed 44 catches on 77 targets for 526 yards, 209 yards after the catch, five touchdowns, five interceptions, had a 72.8 passer rating on balls thrown his way. This year, um, with three games left in the season, he's allowed more catches, 49, on about the same amount of targets, 76. He's allowed 105 more yards. He's allowed about the same yards after catch. Already the five touchdowns, three interceptions, and a 95.9 passer rating when balls are thrown his way. Um, so with, with three games left against um, looks like Gardner Minshew, possibly Daniel Jones, and his Ryan Finley, I guess, in, in Cincinnati, Um with those three games left, I really want to see him uh, step up and, and you know have, have some good games. Not allow um, the big plays to happen. Not fall down in coverage and leave guys wide open. Um, you know, I like that call. Get a pick or two out of that, and um, yeah, I, I think like that call. that's I, I'm, right there. I'm I'm a huge uh, Peters fan in general because I think he's a abs- I think he's a legitimate playmaker. But uh, the production this year hasn't matched last year, obviously. Uh, and, and he seems to me to be kind of one of those guys that uh, gets in his head a little bit. Yeah. And, and he's either up or, up or down. So 
I'd like to see him have a few big weeks, maybe a pick six, and uh, I'll be feeling good going into uh, in January. Uh, Jamie, how about you? Somebody uh, you're well, looking at? Um, well, actually, I was, yeah, was going to say that uh, Mike stole my answer. I had I had Marcus Peters. Um, just a side note about him. He reminds me of a less physical Chris McAllister, if, that may, if, if you can get there with me. Kind of a mercurial type, sort of plays kind of emotional, but he's definitely a playmaker. Um, and like I always thought Chris McAllister was a little underrated around here and in national circles. And I think Marcus Peters is a little bit of the same way. The fact that he's played on three teams already, despite being a guy who's always around the football and taking the football away, things like that. Um, but I think to stay on the defensive side of the ball, if I can just say in general, I, I want to see the linebackers improve. Um, I think there's talent there. I do like Patrick Queen, but – he has to play more physical at the point of attack. He's got to be able to get off of blocks. He's got to be able to fill. And to be able to not get lost in the scrum when there's a running play and allow guys to get into the second level. That's where we, in the glory days, quote unquote, of, of the, the Ravens defense when we had, you know, Ray and, you know, and whoever was running next to him, whether it was Ed Hartwell or Bart Scott or Peter Bullware, et cetera, et cetera. We were so good at, Team's getting two-yard gain, but I feel like this, this, these linebackers, and because the nature of the game, let's let's face it, frankly, has changed, and what you want out of linebackers is a little different. But with teams kind of getting back to being a little bit more physical and running the ball more, and having guys like and seeing guys like Travis Henry, knowing that we're going to see Nick Chubb a couple times a year, and knowing that the Steelers always run the ball hard, et cetera, et cetera. I'd really like to see us not be giving up these seven and eight yard runs on first down, allowing teams to get into, you know, second and manageable, being on schedule. That opens up their playbook. That leads to these long drives and the defense not being able to get off the field. I feel like that starts and ends with the linebackers being able to control the running game, get off of blocks, get guys to the ground when they have an opportunity. I'd like to see that the last three weeks. Good answers from both of you. Um, I think an easy answer for me would be maybe Hollywood. I know he's had touchdowns the last few weeks, uh, but the uh, but the drops after, especially after he called for you know, yep. I need the ball more. Well, gotta catch the ball. So he's a soldier. Yeah. Uh, 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 you know, I uh, we saw um, Stefan Diggs, I guess Sunday night, or you know, uh, and you saw that display, and I was thinking. That's who I would like Hollywood to be, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not quite the same skill set, but uh, similar body type. Um, but my my real answer, I'll stay for the receivers. You know, Snead is probably the most consistent guy. You know what you have there. Hollywood has an over-the-top ability, at least the speed. But I want to see uh, Boykin take, a, you know, it's time to step up. You need more, more consistent production from him. You need him to be the physical guy opposite uh, of these receivers he at least needs to be somebody that can move the chains so i like to see uh get him going the next uh, few weeks um, um, hey chris but we'll see what we see, we see we'll see what receivers we actually have available on the field uh uh this weekend obviously the covid scare uh currently going through the uh castle once again yeah i was actually going to say that uh who are we going to have and would yep. this be a, an opportunity to see duvernay get more snaps because it seems like when he's on the field and he touches the football, something good happens. He seems to have good hands. 
I'd really like to see him be involved in the offense a little more, regardless of the health of the guy of the other guys that may or may not be able to play this weekend. But especially if they're not, he he'll get an opportunity, and I think that can only bode well going forward. Yeah, I, you know, you certainly like his speed, and I kind of thought that by this point in the year we would have been seeing uh, Perche a little bit more, at least, uh, you know, in the receiver sets. But you know, you certainly want to have that speed on the field and be able to stretch uh, stretch teams out, and figure that opens up further lanes for Jackson <laughs> uh, uh, running on uh, underneath. But um, yeah, we'll see who's available. Maybe it's uh, Des Bryant time. Maybe. Uh, uh, one of the undervalued things, considering the style of offensive Ravens run is wider receivers who can block. Um, so now that we're actually running more with uh, the last couple of games that Jackson's shown off his ability uh, and the whole team is running better, you know, it'd be interesting to look at. I don't, I don't know, but it'd be interesting to look at, you know, how Boykin is doing in run blocking, um, you know, how Duvernay is looking when they get out on the edge, um, how many more snaps is Ricard playing maybe, for example, as being a lead blocker. Um, just, just things like that. Seem, because Seth Roberts was the main guy who was the blocker last year uh, as far as the four goes, um, and we don't have him this year. So maybe I'd, be, I'd like to see who's stepped up and taken that role over. All right, last, uh, last thing. Uh, just we'll wrap up with this. Just uh, anything we haven't covered, you guys, that, that you thought uh, uh, we needed to take, anything you saw at the website you want to uh, – at the board you want to address uh, – or anything in general, uh, uh, Jamie. I'll start with you. I'll put you directly on the spot. There. Oh, oh thanks. I appreciate that. Top of mind for you. <laughs> no, um, I, I think uh, there's been an interesting ongoing discussion about the future of Lamar Jackson here in Baltimore. Obviously, he's in year five of his rookie deal. Of course, we you know pick up the options, so technically we have him for two more years. But it is probably going to be decision time sooner rather than later. Um, and I, I, I'm going to be interested to see how that plays out. If it were me, if I were, you know, Eric DaCosta for a day and I, it was my decision whether to go with Lamar Jackson long-term, I would, but I would definitely front load the contract and make it something that we could maybe get out of because I'm going to be curious to see how his, the rest of his game develops as his speed and athleticism wane a bit as he gets into his late 20s. Because right now, that is the key to his game, is his ability to take off and make something out of nothing, extend drives, you know, get third downs, make, a play, make plays like he did on Monday night. That's not going to be there in five or six years maybe. Yeah, Jamie, I I, uh, I love Jackson at Louisville. I believed he could be a productive pro. I wanted the Ravens to draft him, wrote about it. Uh, I didn't see him being MVP in year two. Uh, and mainly the reason I wanted the Ravens to draft Jackson was because I wanted a, uh, a quarterback on that rookie contract and believing that you could build a team, a team around him. And I was always much more interested in Jackson for the initial contract than the second contract. And now that he's defending league MVP, I do have some, some questions. And, you know, certainly if you pay him, you understand how much it is. And you kind of illustrated the, uh, the questions that will exist, but I, I do fully expect he's going to be extended by the Ravens part because of what he's accomplished. Second part being that 
by all counts, he's an extremely hard worker. And um, it's, you know, I just I can't – the Ravens have always paid the guys that have produced. Uh, and uh, it'd be my set, you know, I can't imagine that they won't extend him. But if they can front the load the deal, I, I would advocate that as well. Uh, Mike, about about you, any last uh, last things for you? Yeah, and just piggybacking on on that, especially with the deal. Um, Eric DeCosta's got a history. It looks like the short history, mind you, of um, since he's been the general manager of extending guys sooner rather than later. And you wonder if that's going to come into play when it comes to Lamar Jackson, um, or because it's such an investment, if they'll take all the time that it really that they need to, or they that they're allowed to, based on his rookie deal, um, given that he's got. The rest of this year, or they can extend him at the earliest this offseason. He's got one more year on his rookie deal, a fifth-year option. They could play the franchise tag game after that and really examine what they have in him. Um, but on the other end, if they're going to go ahead and extend him early, I really like the structure of the Pat Mahomes deal. Um, the, the dollars are huge. I'm not saying that he's equal dollars as Pat Mahomes, but the structure where basically he gets his guaranteed money up front, he gets a lot of it in the first three or four years, and then after that, when the, he gets guaranteed next year's salary, that like next year's salary, he gets paid the current year. If that makes sense. So at any time along the way, if the Ravens were to cut bait, they're basically on the hook for one year salary instead of. Um, the Flacco contract where it was going to be so much dead money that they wouldn't be able to um, fit him under the cap for or like where they, they were guaranteed to have to extend him after three years of that first year, six year contract um, because of how much cap space he was going to take up. Uh, whereas in the chief's case with Mahomes, his contract is basically set for, for 10 years. And at any point when they want to get out, it's one year of cap hell, but then, they'll be fine after that. Um, so I, I think it was it's a good deal because it pays the player a ton of money, but then also it's friendly for the team down the road if, if things go sideways. All right, we're going to end there. Uh, thanks for joining us for this uh, uh, new edition of The Bank. From the co-host, Mike Randall and Jamie Seek, catch us at uh, Baltimore Sports and Life. Join us at the message board and enjoy the game Sunday. Our thanks.